Wednesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. An off night for the Toronto Raptors on Tuesday. And in fact, they've got another off night tonight. Not back on the floor until tomorrow when they will be in Utah to face the Jazz. And the Jazz coming off a thumping last night as they hammered the Philadelphia 76ers Utah at home as they tend to do to a lot of teams. Took care of business 120-85 the final in that game. So the Raptors will be coming in to face a Utah team that is certainly rolling overall this season. 5-2 and two at home, sitting fourth in the Western Conference right now with a 9-5 and five record. We'll talk about them maybe in a couple of minutes. Uh, but, Jonesy, I want to start right off the bat with the performance that was turned in last night by Steph Curry in Brooklyn, yeah. in New York, a blowout over the Nets, an 18-point victory, 9 of 14 from distance, 12 of 19 overall in only 29 minutes of play, a 37-point performance for Steph, and he was shimmying, he was shaking, he was dancing all over Kevin Durant, James Harden, and the Nets. Well, uh, let me go back to where you started with Utah. That's a tough place to play. Um, and if you're the Raptors, you're thankful that Utah won. You don't want to go in there facing them after they've just dropped a home game. So um, not that it's going to be any easier, but uh, they may be in a bit more receptive frame of mind. Maybe you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, Sneak up on him, catch him while they're feeling good. That said, I watched the Steph Curry thing last night too, and it is, I got to tell you, as a, um, I, I guess I consider myself, because of my age, somewhat of a basketball purist. Like everybody, you know, is, was all over the, uh, the fouling and the hand checking, would say, hey, man, it's what I grew up watching, playing, and, and it made guys back in my time, and I like to think myself included at times, pretty good defensive players because you could be physical even if you didn't have a lot of size you just talk to nba guys about uh playing against our colleague from the dallas mavericks Derek harper uh, out of the university of illinois and when he played in the pros he was one of the at like six three or six four he was one of the more physical guards because he could put his hands on you they said they claw they he put his hand on your hip and and move you and I, I guess i didn't mind that but this era now and Steph Curry is just proving other people um, really exposing a lot of stuff because everybody wants to play like Golden State, right? Analytics and shoot the three. And that came about because we don't have a big man, but we figure, oh, if we stand behind the line, we don't have to make two shots for every three that they make down there close to the basket. And, you know, hence the, the, the you know, the, the advent and the, you know, the proliferation of, analytics as it as it starts to soar well not everybody's Steph Curry and man E like I'm looking at some of those shots and I'm like I'm like leaning like oh, oh no and and <laughs> those things are going in clean it's not like they're rattling he's shooting them from like 35 38 40 feet bottom of the center circle in the front court mm-hmm. on the logo step inside the logo and they are clean like they're not rattling. They're not like fluking in off glass. And those things go right in the middle. That rim that's, you know, 18 inches, it could be 13. And it's going in. It's going in clean. And by the way, for the argument for all those people, yes, you can fit two basketballs through the hoop at the same time. Okay? It's the first thing they showed me at basketball camp when I went 
They had to rim down, had two basketballs. They go in, and there's barely clearance on either side, but you can fit two. And Steph Curry was just like he was just dropping them in the middle yesterday. Like, go go and look at them. They're clean. It's not like they're rattling or they're back rim and straight down, like boom, boom, like that sound that you hear when a guy's knocking them in. And I'm I'm telling you, man, uh, people people kind of take them for granted. You know, I, I the argument on TNT yesterday was he the best best player in the world and. You know, a lot of people tend to look at one side of the ball, and we've had MVPs uh, that have been given the award for their offensive prowess while not paying any attention to the other end of the floor. He, I'm not saying he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year, but at least he tries, and he does enough to, to make himself at least not be a liability on the other end for the most part when he wants to. And, you know, we always say it's a matter of, a guy can't play defense as well. Is it can't because he just physically can't? Or is he can't play defense because he won't play defense? And I think a guy like Steph, when you say he can't play defense, it's a can't, won't. Not a can't, can't. And now he's trying. So, but what a performance he. And, and the look on the face of Durant and Harden, like, yeah. So, Jonesy, you're better at math than me. What's 16 times 5? I can come up with the number. I, I, I can do that, but what's 16 times that's, 5? That's 80. Okay. So I'm not going to take credit for this. I'll give the shout-out because I, I did bust his chops on one of our shows last week, our man Rinku. Still waiting for that movie invite. But Rinku, whose chops I busted last week, he alerted me to this the other day. He's like, I was, I was noticing something the other day, and I kind of got, uh, got out the schedule, and I was looking. I'm like, okay, what, like, what are we talking about? Steph Curry and the all-time three-point record. After last night with nine, nine in one game, he's only 65 behind Ray Allen. Okay? Yeah. Ray Allen, all-time. I know where you're going. 2,973. Two Steph Curry now 2,908. In so you need 66 to break the record. All right? Yeah. What is he averaging this year in terms of three-point attempts and more so three-point makes per game? I'll have, to, I'll have to look, but my first guess would be not 16, but five. <laughs> yeah, it's right around five. I'll, I'll get the exact number for you while we're talking here, but it's, it's, it's right around. So... Golden State plays the Raptors on Sunday in San Francisco. But they also He's play the four Raptors games in before Toronto. That. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, you might only need four games to hit 80 or whatever, 66, right? <laughs> but if we average it out, as of last week when Rinku first mentioned this to me, it was actually landing on the night that the Raptors would host the Warriors in Toronto. As it stands now, based on his averages... It'll happen three or four games before. But there is a chance, and again, it's just a chance, there is a chance that Steph Curry might break the record in Toronto. Now, how amazing would that be, considering where he grew up for at least a couple of years, where he first started shooting on a lot of those rims. I shouldn't say first, where he honed the skills, and we think back to those those old 
videos and the old footage and the commercials that were even made of Steph and Seth as youngsters on the floor shooting alongside their dad, Dell. And, and, and Jonesy, I know you were even in one of those commercials or one of those old videos in, in, in terms of a, an old interview that you did uh, with, with, with Dell as well and with the boys around you. You've known them a long time. Um, it would be one hell of a Hollywood story if Steph does it in Toronto. Now, he's averaging 5.4 per game. So, again, doing the math, he probably will now set the record before getting to Toronto. But if he has a couple of nights where he only has two or three, eh, there's a chance, Jonesy, and it would be a nice little uh, Hollywood script moment if he comes back to T.O. and does it in front of the Raptor fan base. Yeah, it would be. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, I, I remember Dell telling me the stories. You, you know, the, it's it's out there. But the, the boys, Steph and Seth, used to – um, <clears throat> they used to shoot on the court before the game. And then when the game was on, they'd go upstairs to the practice court. They wouldn't even watch the game. They'd, they'd, they'd shoot, they'd play, and then make sure they, they had their shower and were ready in time for, as they called it, Vince in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so um, it would be pretty cool if, if uh, Steph were to do it in Toronto. Uh, you're, you're right, he would bring it. It would bring it full circle, but they TNT I think put the graphic up last night, and I mean Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, tremendous shooters, but Steph's doing it because of the era we're in. Steph's doing it in like Ray Allen. I think I saw well over a thousand games. I want to say like thirteen hundred or something like that. Maybe it was eleven hundred. I don't know, but Steph's at like somebody said like seven seventy six. Like he's not even a thousand games yet. And again, it just shows you the era. And, but what he's done, he's messed, he's messed up a whole era of basketball, Steph Curry, the, the warriors and Steph and clay have messed up an entire era of era of basketball because now everybody thinks they can play like that. The copycat nature of the NBA and the league, everybody wants to play like that. And as we used to say back in my day, dude, there's a reason why you're wide open. Like they, there's a reason why you're open. Oh, I had the shot. I was open. Yeah, there's a reason because they know your butt can't make that. So, you know, and it's kind of interesting to watch Cleveland now. Not that they've gone totally away from the three, but, um, you know, it's too bad Evan Mobley's hurt, but they've gone a little bit more traditional at times. So I, I like, uh, I, I like Steph though. If you can, I mean, some of those shots back in the day, you take a shot like that and, you wouldn't even look at the bench because you knew you were coming out if it didn't go in. I played with a guy like that in Canada. And if they were to had a three-pointer back in our day, oh, man, hashtag here I am old. Um, David Colthard out of a little town named Tilsonburg, Ontario, who was my, my teammate, my roommate at York, uh, two-time player of the year. He was shooting shots where, you, like from Steph, like, like, what are you doing shooting from there? It's two, but can't we get it a little closer to the basket? And guys like that skew everybody's perspective because they're, you know, like we used to say, when you're good at your job, people think it's easy. And and that's what Steph's doing right now. Oh, I can do that. No, you can't. You're not Steph Curry. Here's here's two that jumped off the page at me. We're going to bring Tim Reynolds into the conversation here as we're, as we're chatting as well. Um, what's crazier to you? And uh, you know what? I'll throw it to Jonesy first because Tim might not have heard everything we're talking about. I'll throw it to you first, Jonesy. What's crazier to you, the fact that just in the last two days, three days, Paul George passed Clay Thompson 
to hit the 20th slot all time. So Clay, even after missing damn near two years, up until two, three days ago, was still top 20 all time. So you know he's going to vault back up the charts as soon as he's healthy again. And how about this? Top 25. If I gave you, man, I was going to say 50. If I gave you 100 guesses, you would not come up with this name as a guy who is currently playing who is in the top 25. He's 24th overall all time in three-point makes, and he's still currently playing. And I'm telling you, if I give you 100 guesses, you wouldn't come up with it. Wesley Matthews. Wow. That's the era. Yeah. That's the era. Yeah. As we used to say back in the day, Chuck and Duck, man. Wow. Well, he's he's been chucking okay. a lot then and apparently making a whole bunch too. All right. Uh, from Associated <laughs> Press, National NBA right away. I always love chatting with Tim Reynolds. Tim, how you doing this morning? I would have guided Wesley Matthews on, like, the 30th guess. Like, you say you're going to give us 100 guesses, and you don't give us a single guess, and you give us the answer. Like, what is that? Okay, is well, that? hold on. Let me let, – let, 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 okay, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me see. Oh, here's one. Here's one. Then you, you, should, you should know this then. Where, where – I'm not saying you have to know the exact number. Where does Kyle Lowry land on the all-time list? Like, I'll give you a range of, like, within two. Where does Kyle Lowry land in the all-time range? He's uh, so. All right. So Paul's t- Paul George just went to twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. JJ's JJ. I know JJ Reddick's fifteen. Kyle's seventeenth. <laughs> no, he's eighteen. No, he's eighteen. No, no, he's seventeen. He's seventeen. No, no, wow. no. He's right. He he's ahead of Thompson. He's seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. JJ Reddick fifteen. J.R. Smith sixteen. Lowry at seventeen. Billups. At 18, Kobe Bryant at 19, and Paul George now 20th with Clay Thompson 21. Wow, so, I'm gonna, I, 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 I gotta send you a Tim Hortons coffee or probably, The one that surprises people is probably Kobe, because remember, like, like for 10 years, like nobody thought he could shoot. <laughs> like he was just a driver. Yeah, yeah. It was, and he yeah. and Tim, he played with Shaq. He played. <laughs> that's true. Right? He played with a rather ball dominant, ball dominant gentleman. Yes, he. he he, he, Kobe might have passed up a few threes along the way. As crazy as that sounds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, T- Tim, it hey, does. Tim, it does Tim, speak we... to the era, though. Go ahead, Josie. Right? Go ahead, Eric? Josie. No, no, Tim. It does speak to the yeah. era. Of, can you imagine, Tim, uh, Pat Riley or Mike Fratello or or you know Phil Jackson? Some of these guys coaching in this era, like they'd be they'd be pulling their hair out. Well, but would they like? And, and, and the reason I say that is, like Pop last night, the Spurs got beat, and Pop lamented how they only took twenty-two threes and only made five. I think I have the numbers right. I know they were five for something in the low twenties. If Greg Popovich, of all people, has come around True. on the necessity True. of the three ball, then I think anybody else would probably have adjusted. I mean, Pop. I mean. We've all heard it. Like, Pop for years thought it was a clown show and was like, let's have a four-pointer. Let's have a five-pointer. Let's have a six-pointer. It's just it, – it's a – I mean, I, I heard you, Jonesy, when – I don't think they've ruined the era. But you're definitely right in that – like, there was a great Damaged. quote I saw yesterday. <laughs> I, I saw a great quote from Greg Schiano, the Rutgers football coach, yesterday. There's two things that every man thinks they can do. Grill 
and coach football. And now we can add shooting threes to that list because literally everybody thinks they can do it. I mean, I watched the college game last night where, you know, I covered a game over in Fort Myers where guys are pulling up from the logo because they think they're Trey Young. And none of these logo threes (laughs) were remotely close. Like, nothing. Nothing. I mean, not in and out. Like, no, not close. But guys think they can do it now because you did it once in practice. So, yeah, knowing your limitations, that that is no that no longer exists. Steph is better than you. I'm speaking to everyone alive. Steph is the best shooter we've ever seen. Stop thinking you're Steph. Thank you. Rant over. Tim, you know what I find interesting with Steph as well, and I, I don't know if both of you would agree or not. He's. I, I don't know him on the same level that Jonesy does. I don't know about your relationship or, you know, professional, personal, or otherwise with Steph Curry, Tim. I know him a little bit. I mean, talking like a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. He probably wouldn't know me if he walked by me on the street. But he seems like a likable dude. He seems like the kind of guy that most people like in spite of the theatrics and the showmanship and the bravado that he's on the floor doing the shimmy and doing the shakes and doing his dances and his little facial expressions and the mouth guard hanging out of the mouth and everything else. Other players, I would even include LeBron James. Other players do that type of stuff. They're hated. They're hated by a lot of fans. They're hated by the dude that barely watches basketball at home and sees a highlight and goes, man, I don't like that guy. I don't like his attitude. But for whatever reason, Steph does it, and he doesn't seem to to take as much heat because he's a likable dude. I, I Am I wrong in that assessment, too, that he gets away with stuff where other guys might be you know, taking one to the chops? For the most part, Steph kind of skates by because he's a likable guy and people don't necessarily mind the showmanship. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Steph has a hater. I don't think he has one. Like, I really don't. And, and I've never thought of it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. Like, if, you know, if James Harden... Another, you know, going to go, I mean, he'll probably finish one or two on the all-time three-point list. He'll catch Ray. He'll pass Reggie probably soon. I think he's within like 100 of Reggie last time I looked. Yep, yep. And and there's no comparison. Like, people, there's some people who love James Harden, people who really intensely dislike James Harden. Steph, maybe it's just because he does it with a smile. Maybe it's because he just... I mean, he's he's a six foot three man. Like he's a six foot three muscular, strong man, but he looks like a little kid out there on the floor with with the rest of these NBA guys who are much larger than he is. Maybe that adds to the likability. Um, you know, I, people love his wife. I, I don't know. I, you're you're right though. He has found a way in an era where everybody has haters, everybody has critics. He has found a way to be Teflon, and and good for him. Because there really isn't a reason to hate on Steph. There also isn't a reason to hate on really any of these guys. What, what's the reason to hate on LeBron? What's the reason to hate on KD? Or, or and, I mean, there's no reason to hate on these guys, but for some reason Steph has found a way. That's a really good point by you, Matt. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Tim, let's uh, – Golden State's off flying. I don't know if anybody saw them playing this well. Um Maybe a little bit of a surprise to people. I, I thought they'd be good. I didn't know they would get out of the gate this well, although I will say they've had a lot of home games. Um, yep. What is, is there anything else that's really kind of caught your eye over the course 
of the season like this we're almost at the quarter pole anything that surprised you and i know uh you know you're 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 close to a very good team down there in miami well i mean golden state obviously goes without saying that that surprised me um i mean washington and chicago obviously i mean they're the best stories in the league um the wizards literally five minutes ago announced um, an extension for Tommy Shepard, one of the all-time guys in this league. Yes, um, yes. That's incredibly well-deserved by him. Um, I, I love what the Wizards and the Bulls are doing because, I mean, the DeMar story alone, I mean, how great is that? And, and, and I, I don't know who said he was washed. I don't know if anybody actually thought that or really said it. But if you did, perhaps you should stop opining about basketball i mean who would think that demar Derozan was done i think there are great there are great success stories in the league right now and it's scary but you're right john we are near the quarter pole already like it's scary that we're already there i don't like what i'm seeing at all from milwaukee i know they haven't had their team really i get it um i don't like the way they're playing i don't like the way they look i don't like anything from them right now I don't think the Lakers, like LeBron's not playing. They'll be fine. Um, a team we're not, a team we do not talk enough about, though, and a coach we don't talk enough about is Ty Lue and the Clippers. I, I did not see them starting nine and five. I did not see this with Paul George looking as good as he's looking without Kawhi. You expected them to kind of be floating around that play-in range, something like that. And yes, it's early. But they're defending at an incredible level without one of the best defenders to ever do it. Um, what, they've, what, what they've done to get out of the gates, I think, is very important. And to your point, Golden State, yes, they had that eight-game eight homestand, whatever it was, but they took care of business on that homestand, too. I mean, that could have made, that sets them up now. If they had gone four and four, three and five, something like that on that homestand, you know, they had to pay the price for that later on. The fact that they've got this momentum now, belief is everything. They believe that they're really good. And, oh, by the way, they have maybe the best player in the world right now, too. So there's a lot of good right now, but there's just a couple of teams that make you scratch your head a little. And for me, Milwaukee's one of them. Boston's another one. Um, They're better than this. Um, But the rest of it's kind of playing true to form. Tim? Speaking with Tim Reynolds, uh, I wanted to just jump in for a second there, Jonesy, on, on Tim's point about the, the home records and, and, and taking care of business at home, as you just talked about with Golden State. Uh, Tim, we don't have to spend a ton of time talking Raptors because there's lots of other stuff around the league, but that's one thing that Jonesy and I have been chatting about, the early start to the season for the Raptors, 7-8. and eight. This is probably what they are, a team that's going to hover a little bit above, a little bit below 500 for most of the year, but they really dug themselves a bit of a hole here in the early going. They've played more home games than any other team in the Eastern Conference. And, Tim, you know that building, and you know the success the Raptors have had in recent memory in their building at Scotiabank Arena or previously Air Canada Centre, just 2-6 and six at home this season, and now one game into a six-game road trip. You talked about Golden State setting themselves up uh, with that 8-1 and home record and that eight-game homestand. The Raptors might have set themselves up in the wrong way with this 2-6 and six start to their home schedule. Yeah, and I knew we'd I knew we'd bring up the Raptors, obviously. So I, I looked, and you know, once they get off this trip, 
they have what, 14 out of 17? Is it at home? Yeah. So yeah. if Nick can figure something out um, on this trip, I mean, I mean, you're not going to want to hear it, but like three and three on this trip would be exceptional. Um, I mean, two and four, you don't even say is a bad trip. I know it doesn't sound good, but as long as they're playing well toward the end of the trip, then they have a chance to come home and get it right again. And, and I do think, I think you're right that they're going to be this team that's like on the periphery of, are they going to be, you know, six? Are they going to be in, in, in the play-in? They're going to be in that mix all year, but we've, we've already seen the up and down, right? Slow start, then they won four or five in a row. Now they're like one and five cents or something like that. Um, on a personal standpoint, you guys know I love Nick. Um, you got to play Goran Dragic. You have to play Goran Dragic. You have to play Goran Dragic. I don't understand that, but he knows a little bit more about his team than I do, so I'll give him a pass. But to, to me, there's going to be wild ebbs and flows to that team all year. Um, I do think that, you know, Nick is smart enough to figure it out at some point. It's going to take him some time because this isn't a team with, you know, I mean, Freddie's great, but Freddie's not that, he's not that, he's not the super closer like a lot of teams need. You know, he has the capability and he's done it. But would we, would we call him a lights out closer? I don't, I don't know if we would. I'm not knocking Freddie. I love Freddie's game, but they're going to have to figure it out kind of on the fly. I think it's critical for them to not have this trip be a disaster and come home with a little bit of momentum because then then they're home for like a month and you have a chance to really get this thing going. If they can get to the break, you know, four or five games over, get themselves in the mix, then they're going to stay there. They really are because Nick's too good a coach. So um, to me, it survived this trip. And then you get a second chance to build some home dominance, and they have to do that. Uh, Tim, I was going to ask you uh, on this theme of home schedule. I mean, you said the Lakers will be okay. They're, they're, they've played 12 of their 15 at home, and they're only 7-5. and five. I know they're playing without LeBron, but Russ is a guy that likes to have his hands on the ball. So, so let that one marinate for a while. But you said that the Raptors need to play Goron. We know he's a, a, a professional. We know he's – and he's – He's a good player. He's he's he's. I think he's a little bit underrated. He's a he's a he's a underrated defender. He's a good scorer. He can run a team. How do you balance that though with trying to develop some of the young guys you have and play them in, you know, a guy like Delano Banton and and and, you know, some of the, the Malachi Flynn and try to get some of those other young guys because there there are howls up here, people saying that guys like Fred and Pascal need to play less so the young guys can play. How, how do you balance that? Well, it's so last night. Look, look at the box. Look at the box from from the from the Portland. Oh, was it last night or two nights ago? Two nights ago. Look at the box from the Portland game. Right. OG played forty one. Fred played forty. Gary played forty. Scotty played forty. Pascal played thirty nine. Man, that's a lot of minutes for your starters. That's a lot of minutes for your starters, isn't it? Like it's just a lot. And, and I know it's what the game dictated. You can't do that every night. So it is tough to have that balance. But Goron, I mean, he's had, you know, he had knee problems off and on, you know, for really the last three, four years down here. Like, he's not a spring chicken. We all know this. But you give Goron 12 minutes. You give him six minutes in the second quarter and six minutes to start the fourth or to end the third, however Nick wants to do it. Like, 
when he came off the bench for Eric Spolstra, granted, different team, different system. It's not apples to apples. But when he came off the bench for Eric Spolstra, it, it was like watching a crazy person. Like, he just played with so much energy because he knew he could just let it all go in short bursts. He has that explosive capability. It, it, he, he has... He, know, he understands what it means to be a six-man. And really, I call anybody who comes off the bench the six-man. He doesn't be the first one off the bench. He can give you high energy. He's not helping you on the bench. You know, he can show, he can show Malachi. Really, he can even show Freddie certain things. I mean, he needs to play to show him, though. And he's a very tough defender. He's a very aggressive defender. Um he tends to lose his mind a little bit sometimes. Like, he, if you hit him, he's going to hit you back. <laughs> when we Goran has that mean streak in him. Um, I, I just – you need to play, you need to find a role for him. And I don't know how you balance the development because the problem with the way – you want to talk about change in era, Jonesy? Teams don't practice anymore. No, they not can't. at all. And that's what kills teams when you're trying to develop young guys. Your only way to develop young guys – is send them to 905, which is great, but it's not NBA level, or you got to play them. Because you can't go five, even when you do practice, you can't go five on five. There's no time. So it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of scenario. And, I mean, I say play Goron because Goron's my guy and I love him, and that's just the fan in me coming out. But Nick really needs to find a way to, to – that balance is super, super tough. Like the Heat play nine, ten guys because that's kind of all that's in the. I mean, they don't have a young guy. Tyler Hero is the youngest guy on the team. It's a different situation down here. Nick's playing for both now and the future, and it's a really tough decision. And no matter what you do, you're going to get second guessed. Tim, it's a good place to end it. I think we've we've kept you long enough. Don't want to abuse your time. We we want to make sure we get you back. So uh, you know, we'll 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 leave it there, Tim. And we appreciate your insight, your analysis as always, and. Uh, Stay nice and uh, warm down in Miami. The, the the weather's starting to turn a little bit up here. It was it was snowing in minus seventeen degrees in Edmonton for Canada's victory last night over Mexico on the pitch. Can, can we so. can we just spend thirty seconds though and talk about how unbelievably incredible that was? That was yes. amazing. I mean, yeah. we're sitting here. The Stanley Cup hasn't left the U.S. in thirty years, and Canada is at the top of the table of World Cup qualifying. Make it make sense, anybody? I challenge you to make any of it make sense. That was amazing That's, last night. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Uh, Tim, thanks as always for your time. Thanks, Tim. Hey guys. There's Tim Reynolds, national NBA writer for Associated Press, and and I tell you, Jonesy, just quickly on on that uh, topic about the. Uh, uh, men's national soccer team last night. We we did have a tweet come in, and I'll just read this word for word because I think this is a little bit extreme, but there's an element of truth to it. And hey, you got to put on your other hat now because you can speak to it. You're you're part of the board, so now you're not just a broadcaster and a fan. You're 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 part of this thing, Jonesy. This one came from Jamal watching the men's soccer team on the cusp of making the World Cup. Plus, our women's program being champions makes me realize. What a colossal failure our national basketball program has been when it was supposed to be their time to shine. Now, I will say as a caveat, Jamal, don't say the national program because the women's team has been kicking some butt as well. But the men's team has faltered quite a few times over the course of the last, well, we can talk about the last 21 years, but certainly over the last five to ten years, Jonesy. And, and man, I, I, I still harken back to 2015 in Mexico City, but even this past summer, 
uh, I, I, the, 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 the number of curse words that were coming out of my mouth watching those games in Victoria, you really, really, really have to cross your fingers extremely hard to the point that they're breaking, that the Raptors, or excuse me, that Team Canada can take care of business in just a couple of weeks when they've got more qualifiers. I believe it's the 28th and 29th of November, and then into the new year as they're trying to get back uh, to the to the World Cup, to the World Championship, and certainly on that path towards the next Olympic Games, because this should have been their time, no doubt. Jamal's right about that. Yeah, I, I, I can I can speak to I can speak to some of the uh, I guess lack of cohesiveness and that that they've had to deal with. They, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, I can't speak for the soccer team. I haven't you know I haven't followed how closely. But once you you know the other thing too is once you start to win. And your program gathers momentum in terms of um, players. They start finding a way to to play together, to train together, to to kind of keep keep the ball rolling, keep the party moving. I really think that's going to be the case. I mean, we saw it with the Canadian women's team. I really think it's going to be the case with the Canadian men's team. I mean, all that happened in Victoria, uh, you know, there there was Nick's basically still you know, a new coach because he can't coach all the time. Like the, the next round of qualifying stuff is coming up and it's going to be Nate Bjorkren and, and Nate Mitchell. Luckily they're Raptor assistant coaches. And so the systems will be aligned, but you know, Nick doesn't have a lot of chance to get his hands on these guys and they're playing all over the world. And you believe it, the first game in Victoria, uh, you know, against the Greeks was the first time that team had played together and you're trying to qualify for the Olympics. Meanwhile, the Czech Republic, those guys, they, they've been playing together for forever. So, I look, I can see where there's frustration, but I think starting from where we are now, we have to look at it as, I'm sorry about all that stuff in the past, but this is where we're starting from. And, and you know, in like the Nick Nurse era, Nick's been re-signed. You're trying, we always talk about in the pros, stability and continuity. And, and I know... I can speak to that. We as a board and we as a as a you know an organization, Canada Basketball, are trying to establish some of that. And some of that didn't happen without, you know, the monetary support. That's coming around too. All of these little things are starting to add up. So um, you know, people are quick to criticize, but until you walk in somebody's shoes. So give it some time. I'm not trying to make excuses. I mean, I'm new to the board too, a year and change, and I've seen changes for the positive. So give it some time. More Smith and Jones in a moment, and we'll be joined by Alvin Williams on Alvin Williams Wednesdays right here. Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones, back in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. You can get the podcast, Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like it, make sure you rate and review. And why wouldn't you like it, especially on a day like today where we bring into the conversation on, we're dubbing it, for uh, every Wednesday going forward. Alvin Williams Wednesday as the Raptors get set for the next game on Thursday against the uh, Utah Jazz. Alvin Williams joining us. Al, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you, man? All good, Al. Good. All good. Good, good. Hey, Al, I want to circle back to a conversation we had about uh, 10 minutes or so ago with uh, Tim Reynolds, the great writer with uh, 
Associated Press based down in Miami. I'm sure you've met Tim a number of times over the years. And one of the things we were getting into, put the Raptors aside for a second, I want to tap into your playing days. And if you have a name or two of either a guy that you liked no matter what, and I don't care if he was a teammate or an opponent, or a guy that you hated no matter what, whether it was a teammate or an opponent. And the reason we get into this, Al, we're having a conversation about Steph Curry. And I, I, I presented the theory to Jonesy and to Tim that he might be the only guy in the league, especially when we're talking about star, superstar talent, that can walk around with the chest puffed out, with the shoulders shimmying, with the dance moves, with the theatrics and the bombastic style and still be liked and not have somebody want to punch him in the chops. Like, he seems universally liked by players, fans, coaches, broadcasters, whereas other dudes from James Harden to LeBron James and the list goes on, there's at least one person in that fan base, coaches, players, whatever, somebody dislikes LeBron, somebody dislikes Harden, but it seems like Steph, no matter what he does, is universally loved. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I, I think it's a lot of factors to go into that. But to answer your question first, I, I didn't have anybody uh, I hated, and I probably wouldn't mention it if I did anyway, especially if it was a teammate. But, um, yeah, it, Steph Curry Steph Curry is one of those guys where I think where he came into the league as an underdog and he's really, like, exceeded anything that was placed upon him. He was an early draft pick, and he had a remarkable – college career and his style was something that we haven't seen ever especially you know being at a lower major school and doing what he was doing in the NCAA tournaments and then getting to the NBA and still doing those things a smaller type of guy but more importantly I think he's a great person I think people really see who he is and see him for who he is and I think that that goes into it but I also think you tap into it the era this year that we are in now yeah, that, that 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 attitude isn't there. Like that attitude isn't there if you get showed up, if you hit ten threes, and you're looking into the crowd and you're hitting your head with a three finger. Like that's not the same attitude from a competitor standpoint. That I'm going to turn it physical. Or I'm gonna make this thing ugly, right? It's, it's it's just not there. So I think that's a product of it. But I think also he's non-threatening. He's he's a non-threatening type of person. I don't think people really feel threatened by him. The way he carry himself his stature and other things. So it's just, it's just a lot of, it's a big combination of why he can play at the highest level showboat on people and people still not feel threatened or feel like they have to, you know, try to knock his lights out. Al, uh, and, and you're right. The, these guys all know each other. They played in an era growing up together. Uh, and, and you, you could not do that back in the days of, of of Charles Oakley you would come down the lane and you would you would be picking your you would be getting a a, a paint scraper to take you off the middle <laughs> of the lane you would you would i mean yeah. uh, like you you just know the way those guys are i i have an example for people who don't know just google e, youtube google it isaiah thomas got cut for like 35 40 stitches. That's right. Isaiah, the night that they named John Stockton to Dream Team and left, left Isaiah off, Isaiah looked and said, okay, I got something for you. And he was serving him. He was he was giving him work like he was an employee. 
And Carmelone said, no, we ain't having this and came down with an elbow. And I remember guys talking to guys later, going to the hospital with Isaiah going, Isaiah's looking and they're like, oh, you'll be all right. And they'll turn away and go, oh, man, that eye is never going to heal. And it right. is the era. It is the it right. is the era, Al. And, and, uh, I, I, and, and we've talked about how the era has changed basketball, too. Al. You were a, you were a, a pretty you were a decent shooter. If you ever took bad shots or some of the shots that we accept in this era, you know you'd be pasted to the bench. Right, right. No, it it, it is. It's just, I mean, as a player, it's beautiful. It, it's a, it's a great opportunity because you know a lot of times when you get to whatever whatever team it is, you want that opportunity to show what you can do. And you want to have that confidence. And a lot of times the confidence doesn't just come from within or your teammates. It comes from the coach. And that that's the great thing. Now, Steph Curry's a hell of a player, great player. And I can't – I wish I played in that era. And I still wouldn't be half as good as he is. But the era that, we, that we're watching now, it's just a different style of play, which it magnifies the overall game. It magnifies the overall game and gives opportunity to other players that you may not – you know, that may not even be in the league because you do have a certain freedom. You do have, you don't have as much of responsibility um, when it comes to other aspects of the game. And when you talk about other players, even your teammates are allowing, sometimes if you showboat enough or you did some things, your teammates will resent you as well. So it's, it's a situation where a lot of players are really, you know, they know each other, they know they can benefit from one another. And I think it's, I think it's a great thing. But um, it's definitely just totally different than, than the past eras or generations. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, one of the other things we got into with Tim, he kind of brought up towards the end of our conversation, and, and it, it kind of perked me up a little bit. And I don't know about you, Jonesy, but we'll, we'll get your take on this, Al. Um, especially coming off the game the other night in Portland where uh, four of the five starters paid, played 40-plus minutes. I believe um, the only one that didn't was Pascal, and he was like 39 and change. Uh, and it's the first game of road trip. He got two games in between, so Nick knew that he could throw his guys out there and, and log heavy minutes, and it was the type of game where he needed those guys. But does he need to start leaning on the second unit a little bit more? And specifically, one guy, and you would know that position quite well as a fellow guard, does he need to play Goran Dragic a little bit more? You know, it's, it's a lot of times it's about what the coach is comfortable with. And I, I think go back to the games, and I'm sure back when I played, we, we we would go on road trips or we would go every five games and we would mark those games that were winnable that, you know, we knew what we wanted to look like. If it was three and five after five games, four and five, or, you know, four out of those five or one out of those five, we're like, and just kind of like measure it. I, after a while you lose track of it, but that also played of who was going to play, how many minutes they were going to play. So they kind of tracked it that way. I think it comes down to, Nick Nurse having a style that he's comfortable with, having a personnel out there that that can execute his style. And right now, Goran or Malachi or some other players may not fit his comfort level. And that's the biggest thing. But you definitely have to consider someone like Goran, no matter when, whenever he's going to be ready to play, he's going. you know what you're going to get from him. But um, it's just one of those things where as a coaching staff, you sit in those meetings and you figure out, Who's going to be able to provide what you need? And then the last thing is, what, how are you projecting? Are you projecting to have people prepare for the playoffs? Are you projecting to have people prepare just for development for the next season? So a lot of things go into who's playing and, and why they aren't playing because it's, it's not just what we see on TV. 
Sometimes it comes from upstairs. Sometimes it comes from right in that coach's room. Sometimes it comes from communication with players. They may not want to play, right? They may they may not be feeling whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of things, but you try to put everybody in to execute what you're trying to what you're trying to get out of your offensive defense. And right now, McNurse likes I think the idea of having a versatility. I like he has the he likes the option of having the long length and athleticism out there. And I think I think he thinks that gives him the best chance to play the style that he wants to execute. Al, I'm looking at the defense, um, and and the Raptors had done a good job early in the season. Um, you know, w- when you talk about these things, they'd done a good job early in the season of applying ball pressure, creating turnovers, getting steals, and and running out. And they were getting sometimes 12, 13 more field goal attempts than than the other team. And even if you're not shooting a great percentage, you get if I get ten more shots and I'm making two of them or three of them, and a couple of those are threes, I'm 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 doing okay. It seems like that has kind of kept up, but the other stuff behind it, Al, seems to be letting down. And and I mean, you know, this as a player, sometimes steals are not a good measure of defense, and, tur- and creating turnovers are not a good measure of defense because it it talks to the gambling aspect, and when you gamble and you don't get it. Now you're in trouble behind. You got to rotate. And, and uh, Eric and I were talking against Portland. 16 of the 25 assists from Portland either came from a direct, uh, I charted it, a direct one foot paint touch or a, a, a punch dribble almost to the paint, like a step off the paint, and then the drive kick swing. What do they need to do to make to make the effort consistent, Al? Because it's not just out front steals, jumping people, ball pressure, and once you get past that, oh, you're home free on on the offensive end. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. It's it's enjoyable to see the defense when it has a lot of activity, the deflections and the steals, and that's something that is enjoyable because you can see the result. You can see you can see you know the stat behind it. I always said the defense that that's a that's a pretty good defense, but it's not sustainable because teams, the better teams, and the farther you go in the season, they're not going to play that style. They're going to be more cautious. They're going to be more careful when they know you're jumping lanes and you're doing things. The next step of a great defense is position basketball, being in the right position so teams cannot get to where they want to get to. And as you you, you notice in the past years, you know. We were taking charges, whether it was Kyle Lowry leading the league in charges, whether it was Marcus Sol being there. And then if that wasn't the case, you could defend a rim with a Serge Ibaka and things like that and protecting that paint. And it's not just, you know, flying around getting deflections and, and steals. Well, although that is a great thing, but it's not a great measuring stick of how good your defense is, as you said, Jonesy, because at the end of the day, you want to have players that's in position. You know the scheme. You know the personnel. You know what they like to do and be in a position where you're taking that charge and you're creating a foul against the other team. You're giving yourself opportunities to get in the bonus. You're doing these type of things. So that's a great defense. And once again, when you go further in the season and you're playing against better teams and things are more crucial and more and more um, precious, you're not, teams aren't going to turn the ball over. They're not, going to, they're not going to just throw the ball around, and those stats are going to go down. So the biggest thing now is the next step is – players being in position, guarding the ball, making sure you're taking care and guarding the ball and taking care of that paint, and then everyone else in position, whether it's through rotation, and then finally 
rebounding the ball, which the Raptors are doing a, good, a better job this year. They're doing a pretty good job of rebounding the basketball. Hey, Alex, e- there's somebody. Yep, go ahead. Eric, I, I know you want to jump in here, but we watched a play the other night, and there was a player standing there. And what did I say to you? If Kyle Lowry's there, that's mm-hmm. a charge, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Alvin's yeah. talking about. We saw it. Eric, uh, we were watching a play. Al, a guy drove, beat beat the initial defender, drove the baseline, and another player kind of came over and waved at him as he went for a layup. And I said, if that's Kyle Lowry, that guy's standing there, and that's a charge, and we're going the other way, no basket, and everything's wiped out. And and uh, to your point, Al, you're right. Sorry, sorry, E, I just wanted to jump yeah. in. And, and, and you're going to see a lot of those plays, right, the penetration – drive kick and a three is made and you know in the past years you heard the whistle beep nope that three doesn't count that was a charge down in the paint yeah or in transition when somebody you think somebody has an open boop that's a charge that's knowing that's the smarts that's the high iq and that's you know giving your body up and that's what defense is you gotta know like i i, my, I had an uncle and he loved Larry Bird from Philadelphia. He loved the Celtics and Larry Bird. I'm like, well, who the hell are you, first of all? You can't be Philly like Larry Bird and Celtics. But he used to always tell me to watch Larry Bird playing defense. And he was like, he's not the fastest, but he's in position. He's taking a charge. He's getting tie-ups. He's there to get the rebounds. And Larry Bird would have 10 rebounds. He would have a charge. He wouldn't block a shot at all. But he's he's always in position. That was at a young age. And I remember just always taking that into it because you know we compare larry bird to dr j dr j's flying around and my uncle will always tell me dr j who is about larry bird and it's those things and kyle lowry and not to keep harping on kyle but when you have a defense where you have four or five guys that know their position that's going to talk on the floor going to make multiple efforts give their body up and then rebound the basketball that's when you got a great defense hey al i'm going to leave you with this i wasn't even planning to go here but I saw this actually this morning, a couple hours ago, just when I was flipping through Twitter, and you brought up Larry Bird. In his worst year, allegedly, quote-unquote, worst year, his final year in the NBA, 1992, Larry Bird, and by the way, I hated Larry Bird just because I was a Magic Johnson guy, but Larry Bird averaged 20 points, 9.5 rebounds, 6.5 assists, and shot over 40% from three-point range. Now, here's the key. That's only been done two other times in NBA history. Larry Bird in 1985 and Larry Bird in 1986. Like He was a bad man. The guy was, he was yeah, I mean, he man. was unbelievable, right? He was bad. Yeah. No, he was. I'll leave it at I mean, that, Al. Yeah, he was. And being a kid, like I said, no one liked Larry Bird. Like, you didn't like Larry Bird, Dr. J, Magic Johnson, whoever. You, and you didn't like the Celtics. You know, you thought they played dirty. I always thought there was a pass-pass, but they, they played. You know, the Lakers were showtime, but the Celtics, they played a fast-paced game, moved the ball around, hit the open, kind of like what we see today early on. So, you know, Larry Bird was a bad man. Can't take anything from him. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, Al. There is Alvin Williams on Alvin Williams Wednesdays. The uh, Raptors getting set for their next tilt on Thursday when they'll be in Utah getting set to face the Jazz. If you like Smith & Jones, make sure you rate and review wherever you get your podcast. Download the podcast and uh, make sure you tune in every single day, whether we're live or whether we're in your car or on your device, whatever it is, tune in to Smith & Jones.